0: If you fill a glass of ice water all the way to the top, what happens when the ice starts to melt? Will it overflow? No, it doesn't. Because the molecules of H2O take up more space in solid form than in liquid form. That means that as the ice melts, the water level will drop. Maybe this doesn't seem the opposite of what you would expect. But for me, when I first learned this science fact, it absolutely was. God's kingdom is also very often the opposite of what we would expect. Our world doesn't operate like eternity. From our vantage point, God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. This is especially challenging because believers in Christ live for the kingdom ...while existing in the world. In our gospel lesson today from Matthew 16, the disciples learned this lesson, Peter especially. Specifically, today we'll see how in the upside-down kingdom, death can be both life and victory. As we start, we should keep in mind that we have just entered Matthew's final stage of the earthly ministry of Jesus... Just prior to this was Peter's declaration of Jesus' true identity that we discussed last week. We'll see in a minute how this event actually carries over in today's passage. The very next pericope in Matthew is the transfiguration, which we discussed back in February. And today we have Jesus starting to prepare his disciples for his death and resurrection. Jesus is now beginning to focus on the salvific part of his ministry and the great suffering that it entails. His suffering and death only make sense if there is a resurrection. It is obvious to anyone that when you die, all the rewards you've received, your education, wealth, all the effort you made to exercise and stay thin, no longer do you any good. Some of these things may be of some value to your loved ones who will remember the kind of person you were. But for you, the deceased, it no longer matters, right? Isn't this obvious? I mean, I could offer you $10 million or the kingship of Brunei right now, but if you had to die tomorrow in exchange, your only thoughts would be to weigh the benefits to your family. This is obvious. This is right side up. The disciples, however, were living in a world influenced by hundreds of years of teaching and culture centered around Yahweh, who promised eternal life for those who obeyed him. Devout Jews who followed the Hebrew scriptures were living very much in an upside-down kingdom. Only in an upside-down kingdom would it make sense for God to promise a son to Abraham and then later command that he be sacrificed? Only in an upside-down kingdom would it make sense for Gideon to send half his army away before battle. Only in an upside-down kingdom would it make sense to send a young shepherd boy named David to fight a giant in battle to resolve the fate of Israel. But the Jews... In the time of Jesus, were also influenced by their pagan neighbors and the Romans, who either recognized gods other than Yahweh or no God at all. Wealth made life comfortable right now. Power got you what you wanted. Worshipping pagan gods was trending. Very much like today, it is all fine and good to give lip service to God. But to really live for him was a price too high to pay. Those who take God at his word don't get invited to the cool parties. Or as we read in Jeremiah today, those who avoid evil sit alone. So Jesus was speaking to an audience of 12 with competing priorities when he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This seemingly nonsensical statement is translating between kingdoms to get at the truth. What he was really saying was that whoever would prioritize his physical life by living for the right-side-up kingdom will inevitably disqualify himself for the upside-down kingdom, thereby losing eternal life. And whoever sacrifices the things of this world up to and including his own physical life in order to gain Christ will find eternal life in the upside-down kingdom. In short, we cannot prioritize both. One must choose which kingdom they will serve. In that sense, death is life. Dying to the right-side-up kingdom is the only way to have life in the upside-down kingdom. As Jesus says in verse 24, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross of death if we want to follow him. This isn't optional. This isn't for a few chosen super saints. If any man would come after me, self-denial, and possible death is a lot to ask. That's a high price to pay for Christ. Are you willing? Are you sure? The right-side-up kingdom is just outside that door, and it speaks with a seductive voice. You can have it all. Wealth, fame, power, You can even postpone death if you eat the right foods and buy the right products. Why deny yourself? There's no need to bear a cross. The truth is that the right side up kingdom is so shallow, following its patterns leaves us empty. That is why the only way to truly live is to live for the upside down kingdom. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He wasn't just talking about eternal life. The surprising truth is that the best way to live is not for oneself in a right-side-up, get-all-you-can chase, but rather living for the one who created all life. When you think about it, that makes sense, doesn't it? Even atheists recognize the value of living for others. They just don't recognize which others. Death isn't just life in the upside down kingdom, it's also victory. Jesus predicted his own death in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In other words, Jesus didn't say that going to Jerusalem was a good idea or was expedient for his mission. It was a divine necessity. But that necessity didn't simply end in death. It included his resurrection. Jesus went even further in verse 27 saying, For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Jesus was teaching them that his physical death would lead to something greater because the upside-down kingdom, which they all claimed, was greater than the right-side-up kingdom that they saw before them. Peter, however, was still stuck in the right-side-up kingdom. He couldn't understand how Jesus could be killed. This especially makes sense when you keep in mind, in last week's passage, Peter had just proclaimed the lordship of Jesus, and Jesus responded with a glorious promise of victory and authority for the disciples and the Jesus congregation that they were building. Death seemed to be the exact opposite of all that. How could death and victory both be true? Peter was so convinced of this that he rebuked Jesus. He felt he knew better than his Lord. Peter was being blinded to the realities of the upside-down kingdom. He completely missed that Jesus was predicting his suffering and death, but also... Is a resurrection and glory. In denying the first two, Peter was also denying the last two. Christ's resurrection and glory only came about through the road of suffering and death. You can't get more upside down than that. Now it was Jesus' turn to forcefully rebuke Peter Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. Ouch. I'm sure Jesus was this forceful because this was the very temptation he himself was facing. Avoid the suffering. It's not worth it. Maybe there's another way. There's also another parallel here with last week's passage remember when Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now it sounds like Peter's words have been given to him by Satan. That's quite a transition. Peter must have felt stunned. This just goes to show how strong the pull is towards the right side up kingdom. Even after all Peter had been through, he could still easily slip into right-side-up thinking. I could have just as easily called the kingdom of God the right-side-up kingdom and called the world the upside-down kingdom. But I wanted to start from where we are rather than where we should be. Let's face it. Like Peter, we habitually see things from the world's perspective. We live every day in the right-side-up kingdom of our culture, politics, etc. The right-side-up way of life makes up what sociologists call our precognitions. It's like our operating system, which is why it's very hard to see things any other way. So to us, God's kingdom looks upside down. And like Peter, we can go there for a while, living in that eternal reality But the draw of the right-side-up kingdom never goes away. Not in this life, anyway. The challenge for us is to live in both kingdoms at once, but only living for the upside-down kingdom. If you want to know what that looks like, follow Christ's example. He did this perfectly. He was not divided between the two kingdoms at all. And yet, even though his upside-down kingdom values and way of life were foreign to the citizens of the right-side-up kingdom, he was still very effective at drawing them to himself. They could not deny his love, wisdom, and divine power. Paul also lived for the upside down kingdom, which is how he could in all earnestness paraphrase Hosea 13 14, writing, Death has swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Paul personally believed those words, and he knew that death is no great evil to citizens of the upside down kingdom. Our memorial garden is not a place for saints defeated by death. Quite the opposite. The people out there have taken their place in the eternal church triumphant. It's not an oxymoron to say that they are living proof that death for the believer is both life and victory. They ran their race with perseverance. I pray that they inspire us to do the same. If we want to be effective ambassadors for the upside-down kingdom, the way to do that isn't to be more like the kingdom that we are trying to reach, but more like the kingdom that we point to. This doesn't happen automatically. We have to rely on the guiding of the Holy Spirit and allow God's word to transform us more and more as subjects of the upside-down kingdom. A good deal of that transformation can happen right here in our worship services. We've just spent all week being inundated by the messages of the right-side-up kingdom. After all that, don't you think an hour spent with your fellow kingdom citizens in worship of our Lord is exactly what you need? Jesus is saying to us now, this right-side-up kingdom you occupy is not your permanent home. You were made for upside-down eternal life, and I've paved the way for you. True upside-down living may not be popular, but it's right. Don't give up. As those striving to live for the upside-down kingdom, we need never to lose sight of the fact that death and life, that death is both life and victory. The right-side-up world will always scream for our attention, but it's not what we were meant for. As we prepare to receive communion, let us partake of this upside-down meal with gratitude for the one who is even now preparing our place in the upside-down kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,